Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Michigan on uh, Rollmark Unfiltered. We'll be talking to Senator Gary Peters today uh, from Detroit, Michigan. Also, we talked to Lieutenant Governor of the state. Also, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, Minnesota, one of our guests as well. We're focusing, of course, on the election uh, Tuesday. Massive numbers all across the country. Early voting is taking place in numerous states. We're seeing record-breaking numbers take place in Texas. And so, lots to cover. It's time to bring the funk from Rollmark Unfiltered from Detroit. Let's go.
right, folks, welcome back. It is October 28th. It is Wednesday. Of course, elections taking place on Tuesday, six days away, six days until election day. So many different things are happening as the candidates uh, are actually uh, going down, as the candidates are going down uh, to the wire, traveling all traveling all across the country, folks, uh, making, making the case, making the case in terms of who should win, not just in the presidential race, uh, but also in the U.S. Senate races. When we take up talking about all of that, one of the states we're looking at is Minnesota. Democrats thought there was a lock on that state for the U.S. Senate seat, just like here in Michigan. But the reality is it's much closer than they would have liked. A little bit later in the show, we'll be talking with Senator Gary Peters, the incumbent a Democrat here in Michigan, who is facing Republican uh, John James, an African-American. Uh, but there's also there's a race happening in Minnesota. The, Michigan is also huge because they have a huge Muslim population. What role will they play in this election? Joining us right now is Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. Uh, she, of course, a Democrat uh, in her first term from Minnesota. Congresswoman uh, Omar, how you doing? I'm doing great, Roland. How are you? I'm doing great. Glad to have you here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, I w- want to make this happen for quite some time. And, of course, coronavirus threw a, a monkey rich in everything, but certainly glad to have you on the show. First, congratulations when you winning your primary. Uh, one of the things that was interesting, all the folks out there were saying that you, Congresswoman Tlaib, as well as Congresswoman Ayanna Presley and, Co- and Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, y'all were facing these tough challengers. All right. four of y'all blew your challengers away. So what did you make of all the folks who were saying that, ooh, they could somehow lose after their first term in Congress? I think many people, you know, were convinced that our elections were sort of a fluke, um, something of an accident. I don't think they understood how much we resonated with the districts and the people that we represented. Uh, and it was really, you know, amazing to see um, the results come in for our primaries for re-election uh, and to feel comfortable that not only did we win, but that we have a mandate um, to govern. Uh, and on that particular point there, I mean, again, there were so many people who were saying that, oh, uh, y'all are out of lockstep. But the reality is when you look at the policies that you've advocated, uh, there are a lot of Americans uh, who want that and who now understand that. And the reality is, look, on the Democratic side, you've got different folks on the Democratic side. You've got Democrats who are moderates, Democrats uh, who are who are liberals, who are progressives, some who are far left. Uh, and so the Democrats actually have a much larger tent than the Republican Party. Right. I mean, and it's it's been quite unfortunate, right, um, because we speak about how the Democratic Party is a big tent um, party. We sort of excuse uh, the way in which there might be a disagreement with the moderate members um, of the Democratic Party. But when it comes to the progressives, we put them under a microscope. We analyze and criticize every single decision that they make and every policy position that they speak of. Uh, and we you know, give people the opportunity to say, I'm taking this vote, I'm advocating for this position because of my district. Uh, and that grace really isn't extended to those of us who are progressives um, because we do represent our district. We do speak and uh, advocate for policy positions that are important to the people who send us to Congress. Um, and, you know, for, for many of us, we come from these communities where urgent change is needed, and we speak from that place of urgency. 
Uh, let's uh, speak of urgency. Uh, Democrats are expressing that was what's taking place uh, in your home state there. Uh, that was considered uh, to be a lock in terms of on the United on the Senate side. Uh, polling came out showing uh, it is actually a very tight race. Give us a sense of what's happening there in that Senate race. Of course, uh, Democrats need to pick up three Senate seats uh, across the country to take, to take control of the Senate as if uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris win. She would be the tiebreaker. Uh, they thought that, that Minnesota and Michigan were states that they could put certainly in the D column. So what's happening in Minnesota there? Yeah, I mean, our uh, amazing Senator Tina Smith is up for re-election, uh, and the Republicans are throwing everything they've got um, against her. But we know that she is a strong candidate. She's done an amazing job. And we're doing everything that we can to turn out the vote to make sure that she is reelected to the Senate and that Republicans not only not have a chance in the 2020 election, but don't ever think that they are able to win uh, a statewide election here in Minnesota. Uh, and, of course, uh, what you're dealing with there in Minnesota, you're dealing with a lot of rural voters in Minnesota. Uh, the the uh, Donald Trump and Republicans have really been trying uh, to push those rural voters uh, across the line to turn out more. Uh, also, do you believe that what took place in Minneapolis with George Floyd, is that going to have an impact on this race? Are you seeing larger turnout there? Are you seeing folks who are energized who are using the power from the streets uh, with protests to actually uh, go into the polls? Yeah, I mean, two things are, are happening. You know, we're seeing the Republicans go back to uh, a playbook that they've used for many times where they use fear to galvanize their, their supporters and they, you know, other members of, of our community, they like to pit us against one another. And Minnesotans, time and time again, have rejected that fear and have said we are greater than fear. Uh, and, you know, what we are now seeing um, secondarily is that people have realized that they are powerful when they come out to the streets, exercise their First Amendment right to have their voice heard. Uh, and they realize that they are even more powerful when they exercise their vote uh, through the ballot box. And so we're seeing so many people say, you know, I'm not voting for me. I'm voting to strengthen my democracy. I'm voting on behalf of my community members. I'm voting because of the love that I have um, for the things that I want to see changed. Last question for you. I'm here in Michigan, uh, where they also have a tough Senate race with Senator Gary Peters running against uh, black Republican uh, John James. Michigan has a huge Muslim population. A lot of people may not realize in 2000, Grover Norquist was the one who was responsible for really coordinating them uh, and rallying them behind President, then Governor of Texas, Governor George W. Bush. Uh, how do you believe uh, Trump's attacks uh, out of the gate when he was um, uh, in the, the first month uh, with, with the Muslim ban? How do you believe that is playing in Muslim communities in Michigan, in your state, and across the country? So, I mean, the, you know, the, the Republicans believe, in, and Trump really believes in this, that their, their fear and hate will galvanize their base. But what we believe is that it will galvanize the, the Muslim community, the black community, the immigrant community, the refugee community, you know, the Somali community in my own state 
to come out in mass numbers because they're being galvanized by the love that they have for one another. What we saw in 2016 is that 80,000 votes propelled Trump into the presidency. Those were votes that were cast in Michigan, in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin. And we believe that we can have turnout uh, that will allow for us to win all of those states, including winning Minnesota again. All right, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, we certainly appreciate you joining us right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, always good to see you, and certainly, again, congratulations on one of your primary. Uh, you should uh, be coasting to an easy, easy victory uh, on Tuesday night. Thank you. All right, thanks a bunch. All right, folks, again, uh, we are here uh, in uh, Detroit uh, broadcasting live. There are a number of folks we're going to be chatting with here. And right now, I want to talk with the Lieutenant Governor uh, of uh, Michigan, who joins us right now, Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist. How you doing? I'm good, sir. Welcome to Detroit. All right, so just, so just so y'all know... Just so y'all know, let me get right in this seat right here. Uh, we, of course, uh, we were in, um, we were in earlier this week, we were, first of all, we were in Florida on uh, Saturday and Sunday, uh, Florida Rights Restoration Coalition. Then, of course, we were in Columbia, South Carolina uh, on Monday with Jamie Harrison. Then on Tuesday, uh, yesterday, we were in Atlanta uh, with Joe Biden. Uh, I didn't mind any of that uh, at all. And then, but we realized we were coming here. I had to pack these damn hoodies. Um, <laughs> This is the, there's a reason why I left Chicago after six years. Uh, I do not like coming to the Midwest between the month of October and June 2nd. Uh, but, uh, but we're here. Uh, I have not worn a wool cap the entire, the, the entire year, in summer, fall, but I had to bring one out here. And thank, thank goodness I had my Black Voters Matter one. Uh, and so, uh, and they actually were here yesterday in Detroit. Uh, they are in Flint, Michigan today. I saw, I talked to Latasha Brown and Cliff Albright. Uh, and so I look forward to seeing them tonight. Uh, so, Lieutenant Governor, let's talk about um, what's happening. I just finished talking with Congresswoman Ilhan Omar uh, about Minnesota, but also uh, Muslims. This state has a huge Muslim population. Uh, how do you believe the attacks from Donald Trump on Muslims uh, is going to play in this election? Uh, he won last time around by winning this state not by a very large margin. And so just share with us again your perspective of what's happening here. Well, first of all, it's good to have you here in Michigan. That hat looks really good on you. Hey. Like, real good, don't it? It's warm, too. Just letting y'all know. It's warm, too. So, you're right. Trump won this state by the slimmest margin of any state in the country, 10,704 votes. I think it's going to be different this year in Michigan. I think that we made it easier to vote in 2018. We made it easier for people to vote absentee, made it easier for people to register to vote, and I think that's going to lead to historic voter turnout here in this election. But and so what's going to happen with there, mm -hmm. even in the black community like here in Detroit, and the Muslim community in Dearborn and other parts of our state, we're going to see turnout that's going to send this hateful president home. Yeah. I, I want to pick up on that point there because when you say we made it easier to vote, uh, that only happened because the state elected a Democratic governor, Democratic lieutenant governor. And what folks, I keep telling people all around the country, we can't think about politics only from the perspective of what's happening in Washington, D.C. What happened in 2008, massive turnout in this country for, for then Senator Barack Obama. Folks did not turn out in 2010. 
That's how Republicans took over 16 state legislatures. That's when they began passing onerous voter ID laws. Uh, and so uh, we can't ignore what happens on the state level. This election, Texas, uh, if Democrats pick up nine seats in Texas, they win the Texas House first time in 20 years. They could win the House in Arizona. Uh, they could actually uh, stop some other places as well. And so those state races are just as important because that's where the tone is set when it comes to voting. Well, we can win the House here with only four House seats. There's only four House seats we need to flip the Michigan House of Representatives. And when was the last time the Democrats controlled uh, the House or the Senate here? That was oh, the House and the Senate? The House or the Senate. That was more than 10 years ago. Got it. So we have work to do right now. We have a path to it. Because, frankly, in 2018, we showed what the path to victory was. Because y'all remember Gretchen Whitmer and I won the election in 2018, right? The reason that we did that is because we had a ground game that was thanks to the Michigan Democratic Party, the organizers, the allied organizations that are represented here in this audience. We knocked doors, we made calls. We continue to do that all the way since 2016. After the victory in 18, we never stopped. And so that's why we built those relationships that have worked even this year when we had to put it on pause because of the pandemic. That's what's going to get us to victory for those four House seats. We have a chance to flip the Michigan Supreme Court to get a Democratic majority there. Every election on the ballot matters here. So we're not only going to re-elect re Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. We're going to send Gary Peters back to the Senate. We're going to flip the State House and the Supreme Court. We're going to have a lot of leverage. The Democrats do big things. One of the things that we have been looking at is polling data in this state. We've been talking about this across the country, about what is happening, uh, especially with black men. Uh, in this particular, in the Senate race you're talking about, uh, the last poll that was uh, produced, black men was around 17% for John James. Uh, and then we saw the same, well, 14% for T Tom Tillis in North Carolina. Uh, it was very interesting. Uh, I went to the John James website. There's no mention anywhere on his website he's a Republican. Like, like, like I, went, I went through the whole website. You swear he's running black. There, there ain't a lot on that website, period. So, um, and so what is happening in this state in terms of, of really, because look, you got some folks who say, hey, I want to support the black man for the United States Senate. I make the point, though, he also made it clear that he supports Donald Trump 2,000%. So if you vote for John James, you're essentially voting for Mitch McConnell. John James has no plan for black Michigan or black America, period. The reason that I have made it my mission to organize black men across this state, I marched 200 black men to the polls in Detroit two Saturdays ago. I marched black men to the polls in Flint, Saginaw, Benton Harbor, and every place in between. We are going to have record black male voter turnout here this election because again, we can go vote now. We can go vote now in Michigan because the voters decided that we needed to be able to vote now and vote early. So I think what you're gonna see is black men recognizing their power. We've never had so many campaigns speak so directly to black men in our history. God bless our sisters. You have built the political power to have the leverage to have campaigns speak to you. Now it's time for black men to step up. And as a black man, as the highest ranking black elected official in the history of the state of Michigan, I think it is my responsibility to make sure that our power is felt and it will be felt now and always. So that's the difference that we're going to make here in the state of Michigan. All right, then. Uh, last question for you. Um, and when we talk about uh, election is one thing, but I, I keep making the point to, to my audience that it's what you also do after the election. Earlier you said y'all didn't stop organizing. And I think that's, that is a lesson for many African-Americans. And let's just be, be honest, and people can disagree all you want to, but y'all know I'm not lying. Obama wins in 2009. I argued that black people were the only folks who stayed at the inauguration parade when everybody else left. That we were so excited to see a black first family 
We forgot that he would. We said, oh, he's the first black president. We forgot he's the 44th president. Everybody else made demands. Everybody else had an agenda. And so I, have, I keep saying we have to keep pushing after the election. And so Biden-Harris wins. They must understand we are going to be right there saying, you said you were going to do this, 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 this. We expect to see this, 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 this. And the same goes for Senator Gary Peters and for anybody else who's running. If you make promises, we expect you to keep them. All right, well, all of y'all know and have seen over the last two years what happens when you elect Democrats to office in Michigan. We elected Democrats all the way across the top of the ticket. And we've had some historic wins. Y'all know about Clean Slate? Automatic record expungement, the most progressive package in the country to clear people's criminal records. That's something that I worked on and led personally, that we got that for second chances for people in the state of Michigan. The state of Michigan has been the leader in responding to the racial disparities and coronavirus. That virus is killing our people at five times the rate it was killing everybody else. We've been able to flatten those disparities because the state of Michigan, Democrats, focused on it. John James and the Republicans, they have one plan. Their plan is to wait for you to die, whether it's due to the pandemic, whether it's due to your health care in general, whether it's due to the economy, whether it's due to our education system. They want to wait for people to die. But Democrats aren't going to wait for people to die. Instead, we're going to organize. And when we win, we continue to work. And that's what's going to keep us going forward. All right. Lieutenant Governor Gilchrist, I really appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Thank you, sir. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, folks, I got my panel back there in, in uh, D.C., so I want to chat with them a bit. A. Scott Bolden, former chair of National Bar Association, Political Action Committee, Robert Patero, Executive Director, Rainbow Push Coalition, Peach Tree Street Project, and Monique Presley, legal analyst, crisis manager. Uh, I'll start with you, Robert. Um, the point we've been making on this show has been about uh, black men, black men, black men, but also black women uh, on the issues. We've been across this country again last week, Raleigh, North Carolina, Florida, Columbia, South Carolina, Atlanta here. I mean, Jackson, Mississippi uh, on Sunday. What we are seeing, Robert, is significant, significant black uh, turnout in early voting and also mail-in voting. I think you're going to see numerous records broken this year. Well, I think you're absolutely correct. I, what we've done by focusing in on Republican <clears throat> Republican efforts in voter suppression is be able to uh, to plan for these things months ahead of time. We were meeting with the Secretary of State in Georgia uh, back in June and July to make sure we were able to break down some of these barriers to have been put in place for voting. Uh, there's always been this almost stereotype of black people not being as interested, not wanting to turn out, uh, not having inclination towards voting. No, in reality, we had barriers and walls put up through voter suppression and, and, uh, and other methods to ensure that we did not have the ability to vote. So because of that, you're going to see people such as Warnock be competitive, Mike Espy be competitive, Jamie Harrison be competitive across the board in ways that we haven't seen since Reconstruction, quite, uh, quite frankly. And as we work on building this political, these political coalitions and building this political agenda, just as you said, uh, after the election, if we're able to deliver again as we've delivered in the past, because remember Obama would not get out of the primaries in 2008 if it was not for the black vote. He would not, would not have won... Uh, in 2012 is not for the black vote. As we work on building these coalitions, when we pull this across the uh, the finish line, we have to ensure that we are there at that negotiating table to get exactly our share of the governmental resources that we pay into. Uh, we cannot simply be running on emotions and uh, turning out as if it's a pep rally. This is a business transaction that we are currently engaged in. Uh, and what we are delivering, we must have deliverables from the other side. 
Monique Presley, uh, sisters have been meeting uh, every single uh, week for the last several months. I challenged uh, A. Scott Bolden last time we were on the show to show me a comparable group of black men doing it. He is still trying to find that. Uh, he never sent me a text or an email. Uh, the point I keep making is if you don't mobilize and organize, you can't get what you want. No, you can't. And. And I am just very thankful for Black Women United, which is not an additional organization because who needs another organization? It's a collective where all of the different organizations that Black women have been functioning in and working in and organizing for years have come together around about which we can all agree and unite. One of those being Senator Kamala Harris deserves to be the next vice president of the United States and she should be respected. So we see to it. And before she became the nominee, we saw to that. Uh, making sure that black women's objectives across the board are being met by constantly producing challenges to the current administration and the next one. Obviously, we want to see Biden in office, but we're already talking agenda, just like you just finished saying, Roland. This is not about um, a feel-good session. This is about putting people in office who can do the things that we need done. And I really wish that there was a Black Men United that was doing the same thing. But unfortunately, I... Scott, um... Uh, Scott, we've uh, we, we've seen uh, Ice Cube and others uh, talk about a black agenda, folks making various demands. Uh, the point I will continue to make is you cannot get anything unless you are organized and mobilized to get it. I said it to Ice Cube. I said it to Diddy. I keep saying to all of them, you got to be organized and mobilized. Simple as that. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right about that. And while the organizations that focus on black men, like 100 Black Men, the fraternities, and what have you, while that is okay and, and effective for those groups that are parochial to their interests, it's still a bit of a scattershot, if you will. When you talk about Diddy and you talk about Ice Cube, their belief that somehow they have leverage on the Democratic Party, it's really a false notion. That's the argument for being even more organized than we are right now. They don't call politics political science for, for no reason. It's called political science, right? Science is organized and disciplined and has outcomes as well as deliverables. And I just think when, when we focus on black men and getting them to the polls, that's a short-term piece. The black women are very impressive. They're independent of any label. They've come together, for example, and said, listen, we're gonna make a difference and they believe that they're going to make a difference. They act like they're going to make a difference. And black men need to do the same thing, not just separated in different organizations. So I, I agree with you. I want to talk about... We'll talk about something in South Carolina uh, where there's a victory there. No voter will have their absentee ballots uh, rejected based on signature mismatch. The argument is that election officials are not trained to actually match signatures at that methodology. This is a result of a, a lawsuit filed by the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights under law. It was decided in the Charleston District Court. Again, that is, again, Monique, shows why our civil rights organizations are critically important because Republicans are trying to toss as many ballots as possible, and they argued, how can you know who somebody the signature is if, if that's not what you're trained to do. Right. And we never would have had that fight if the if they had not filed the lawsuit. I just hats off to Kristen Clark and to her whole organization and to all of the organizations that are fighting on the front lines for these legal battles. But at the same time, I want to say 
hey, all you lawyers out there in the world, uh, law students, almost lawyers, you're needed. From now until legal monitors, and it's a very short training class that you can take to do it. Don't just let somebody hand you a shirt and you go out and call yourself a legal observer. We need you to actually go through the program because all of these things are happening daily. I'm hearing things from all kinds of polling locations about things that Trump supporters are trying to pull while they're in high um, about people, you know, trying to get elderly citizens to change their vote, all kinds of things. So, yes, hats off to Kristen Clark, hats off to Sherilyn Eiffel, but we can all do our part. Well, you're rolling. You know, that was uh, a brilliant yeah, that... strategy, too, if I may. Just real quick, brilliant strategy. Go ahead. We think being able to, we think being able to identify someone's signature and then match it up against yours and that to the, to the untrained eye, just as a practical matter, as part of the human condition, we can say that matches or doesn't match. That's just simply not true. It's like everybody's signature is like a fingerprint and the idea that you need expertise or to remind the court that you need expertise on this is a brilliant strategy and a winning strategy because it's really practical. It makes all the sense in the world. If you can't, if you're not an expert in any court, you're declared an expert. If you're not declared an expert in it, how can you make that determination that could affect tens of thousands of voters? And so hats off to that organization and the lawyers behind it, because I just think that's an awesome strategy. All right, folks, Absolutely. hold tight one second. Got to go to commercial break when we come back. Uh, Robert, go ahead. Robert, go ahead. About 30 uh, seconds. Go ahead. Oh uh, Well, I think this, this puts a focus on the fact that one of the first priorities of the next Congress and the next president is going to have to be a nationwide comprehensive reform of our voting rights or what we lost in Shelby versus Holder, in addition to creating nationwide standards so we do not have this scattershot effort where every state has its own different set of barriers put in place to prevent people from voting. All right, folks, hold tight one second. I got to go to commercial break. When we come back, uh, more from here to Detroit. A number of other people are going to be talking with uh, in just a moment. Uh, from here, we're talking about, of course, uh, the election all across the country. Uh, Michigan is a major, major battleground state. And so we'll be discussing that next right here in Roller Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting live from Detroit. This generation, which gets so much inspiration from entertainment. Mm -hmm. You know, this generation is influenced. I mean, it, every generation has their influence. Yep. But I would argue, by and large, when you talk about Harry Belafonte or you talk about, you know, how it was, you know, in the 60s, 70s, and even 80s, there was, you know, you had the entertainers, you, you had the church, you had the activists. In our day and time, you know, the church is somewhat oh, losing its, its, its influence. Entertainment influence is growing. The activists are losing their influence. So where do most, you know, this younger generation go? They go to entertainment. You know, and so the influencers entertainment can actually move the needle. And when you see people be, become active, I love how this younger group of people are saying, wait a minute. We don't like what just happened with Kavanaugh. We're going to do something about it. We don't like the fact that there's no gun control. We're going to do something about it. And I do think that as tragic as these events are, they are becoming more galvanizing to get this younger group of voters, which is so influential, to get out and do what we know they can do, which is to help move the needle in a, in a massive way. 
Hey, Michigan, this is Tracy Ellis Ross, and I have four quick things to tell you. One, you have until October 19th to register to vote. Two, you can vote early in person until November 2nd. Three, if you need a free ride to the polls, use the promo code vote to live mi in your Lyft app. And yes, voting is easy and secure. So please vote and visit votetolive.org for more information and to make a plan to vote today. Paid for by Collective Future. Hi, I'm Eric Nolan. I'm Shantae Moore. Hi, my name is Latoya Luckett, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right, folks, welcome back to Detroit. We are here, uh, of course, focusing on the election. So here's the deal, y'all. We were supposed to do this inside. Then I said, well, if we're going to come there, no sense of doing it inside, we might as well. Uh, they said we could only have about 15, 20 people inside. I said, well, that's a little boring. Uh, so we chose to do it out here in the parking lot. Uh, Anthony, you should have a wide shot there, right? And so we got folks who are here. I see all my Alpha brothers in the house. Uh, we've got we got other members of the Divine Nine here as well. Uh, I, yeah, I, I see like one, two Omegas. That's how it normally is. Um, see, as I told you, that's how we do it. Uh, and so we got folks who are non-Greeks. We got other people who are here. Uh, we're glad to see everybody out here, uh, of course, uh, uh, hanging out. Uh, this is like summertime for y'all in Detroit. Uh, for the rest of us, it's like it's, it's, it's a, we, we call it nippy weather. Uh, but uh, we're certainly glad to be here. Uh, we, of course, are broadcasting uh, on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Uh, folks are checking us out. I want to introduce our panel uh, to the uh, far left. Uh, we have, of course, the sheriff of Wayne County, Benny Napoleon. All right, Sheriff, how you doing? Of course, Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist, uh, he's with us. And then, of course, uh, we have here the incumbent Democratic senator uh, from uh, this state, uh, Gary Peters. So I just want to I want to I just want I want to kick this thing off um, with uh, I mean this has been probably uh, the craziest four years many of us have seen in our lifetime, uh, Sheriff. I want to start with you uh, because we you have this interesting thing going on in this country where you have uh, Donald Trump uh, who is doing this full embrace of law enforcement, uh, ignoring really community concerns out there. We just saw what just happened two days ago uh, in Philadelphia. Uh, and, and one of the things that people are continuing to say, uh, when you hear people say defund the police, what they really are talking about is you've got to shift resources to deal with people with mental illness and not send folks out who, who, who are trained to shoot to kill. And so as a law enforcement officer, how do you make the case 
for to politicians that you have to utilize resources for people uh, to deal with mental illness because we've covered numerous cases where mothers call, I can't get control of my son. The case in Rochester where they put a bag over the guy's head, suffocated him to death. The young brother in uh, Dallas was just playing with a screwdriver, ends up shot and killed. Two weeks after Michael Brown was killed, there was a guy named Kojima Powell. Same thing, knife in his hand, butter knife in his hand. From the moment the cops arrived to the first shot, it was 16 seconds. It was 16 seconds. And so how do we make the case to law enforcement that there has to be some type of change in terms of how we deal with mental illness and police? Well, the first thing foremost, it comes from uh, just having uh, progressive police leadership that will stand up and admit that the criminal justice system is broken. Uh, when you have leadership that will stand up and say that this is broken, it's not working, we've been doing the same thing. Uh, Roland, I've been in police work now for 46 years and we've been doing the same thing for 46 years and it hasn't worked. So those of us who understand that, I have the advantage of having been a practicing attorney and I represented people who require treatment in Michigan so I understand that the mental health system is broken. But the problem is that when you look at the mental health system, it is one of the most ignored populations in this country. So there are people who just will not accept the fact that you know we need to do more to help people who are mentally ill. Prisons and jails are not the place for them. We need to make sure that they get appropriate treatment in an appropriate environment. And that's one of the things that I've been uh, struggling with and fighting for for the last almost 12 years that I've been sheriff, but that's because of sensitivity I have because I've been a practicing lawyer representing those kind of folks. But the first thing is we've got to acknowledge that the system's broken, that what we have done does not work. We can't incarcerate our way out of the, uh, out, of, out of the problems that we have. We need some definite reforms in policing. I ain't ashamed to say it. I've been saying this for the 46 years that I've been the police. Police officers should be willing to live in the communities that they police. You should, you, if you, my saying is you need to lay your head where you make your bread. If you want to police a community, you should be willing to live there. That's, that, that's right. without question. That's, uh, and there are a lot of other things that have to happen. But, but Lieutenant Governor Gilchrist is a perfect example. Uh, in Missouri, Republican lead the state legislature, uh, they, for some reason, they want to completely control what happens in St. Louis. They actually overruled St. Louis leadership and passed a law that, that got rid of the requirement that to be a St. Louis police officer, you had to live in the city of St. Louis. Uh, and, and you sort of have, you have, you have this constant effort, this battle that's back and forth. And I keep making the argument, black folks are not at war with cops. What we are at war with is being killed by cops. We are at war with being killed. We are at war with disinvestment in our communities, in all of its forms. Every call for justice is a call for equity and investment. And that includes investing in the supports that our people need for the services that they need. Because the sheriff is right, and I applaud Sheriff Napoleon for being one of the more progressive sheriffs in the country, for being willing to say, we need to get people help, not put people in jail. That the direction is not toward prison, but it should be toward progress. It should be toward rehabilitation. And that costs resources. That is why, as Lieutenant Governor, I have been focused on reforming our jail system, saying that we don't need to arrest everybody. Some people do things, they just need to get a citation. We don't need to put people in jail because they don't have enough money to pay a fine. Instead, we should give people other ways to get an incentive to show up to court. 
There are more creative ways for us to build safe communities. And that starts with, first of all, investing in our people, investing in our education system. Governor Gresham Whitmer and I have introduced the most equitable education budget that has been put forward in Michigan in a generation. That is how we begin to make the differences in delivering true public safety for our people. Senator Peters, we just watched Republicans come back, ram through a Supreme Court nomination, Amy Coney Barrett, and then when they, were when they finished, went back home, made, made no move on coronavirus, made no move on the folks who need that unemployment help, made no move when it comes to police reform as well. Yet, I, sit here, I was in Atlanta last night in a restaurant trying to get something to eat, and I'm seeing this ad where the Trump campaign, they're showing clips from Joe Biden, the 1994 crime bill, and all the faces of these black men, basically saying Joe Biden put all these black men in jail. And I'm going, what the hell are y'all actually doing to help the very same people? Uh, and so uh, speak to what it's like being, dealing with the United States Senate where Republicans change the rules you know, at, at their whim and don't care about any process or customs or anything along those lines. Well, you're right, Roland, and, and it just it is outrageous uh, when you think about all the time that we spent to, to deal with a Supreme Court nominee when people are struggling right now. As I travel all across the state of Michigan and my colleagues here will know, the, the one thing everybody talks about is how are we going to get through this pandemic? How are we going to deal with the, the health crisis that we're dealing with? How are we going to keep families with a roof over their head, uh, be able to put food on the table? Uh, how are we going to keep small businesses uh, alive so they can continue to, to prosper when the economy starts moving up? And the Republicans said, well, no, it is more important to put through a Supreme Court nominee right now. And let's be clear about what it means with this new, this new Supreme Court justice. We know where she is on issues based on writings that she had prior to being a judge. And one of the one that I'm most concerned about uh, is the fact that she believes that the Affordable Care Act is unconstitutional. We're, we're pretty clear she's going to be a deciding vote to, to throw the Affordable Care Act, the principal legacy of President Obama that made sure that everybody in this country, no matter who they are, no matter where they live, would have access to quality, affordable health care. And, and, you know, I step back. The, the reason that that case is coming, and it's going to come a week after the election, is because Donald Trump and his administration has been pushing a lawsuit forward to throw out the Affordable Care Act and let's put this in context. We have a president of the United States that wants to throw out a health care law while we are in the middle of a health crisis and a pandemic. It makes no sense whatsoever. It is outrageous. And instead of dealing with uh, this issue as we should be right now and making sure that relief is there, and let me just say, you know, the, my, my friends in the House, the Democrats in the House passed a relief package five months ago, five months ago. Mitch McConnell's refused to bring it before the, the Senate. He's got many members who want to think that there should be zero help for anybody. That's, that's their negotiating position. It's hard to negotiate with someone whose beginning and ending bid is zero. It's because they just simply don't care about what is happening, in my mind, uh, in this, this country going forward. And it's really why the Senate matters. And when I say that uh, health care is on the ballot in just a few days, it truly is. But it's, but it's not just health care. Right. This Supreme Court is also going to be taking up, they're going to hear a case uh, in November, a voting rights case out of Arizona 
that could very well gut Section 2. Section 4 was already gutted in the Shelby v. Holder decision. Now you have Section 2. We are to see how, where Kavanaugh stands on that. We clearly know where Clarence Thomas stands on voting rights. Damn, anybody looks like him. Uh, and on and on. And, uh, and uh, in, in any, of, uh, any of your debates or ch uh, the questions with John James, has that come up as an issue of voting rights? Because, again, uh, is he going to side with uh, Donald Trump, Mitch McConnell on voting rights, which African Americans care about, or not? You know, I, I assume so in the fact that he's very proud, and you see him screaming into the camera that he supports Donald Trump 2,000%. That's a pretty big percent to, to, to uh, support somebody, and uh, we know where he is. He doesn't speak out on these issues. You don't hear it. Why is he not doing that? He's been running for the Senate for four years now. We've had all of these uh, instances and things that have occurred. Uh, he doesn't speak out on it. Uh, he just sticks back, and he gets millions of dollars from Mitch McConnell. In fact, right now, all the folks have been watching the TV. Uh, I don't know if you had a chance to turn on the TV at all last night when you came in, but uh, there's non-stop commercials, all negative, nasty ones that uh, James and his uh, buddies are putting against me. All the independent fact-checkers say they're false. They're either false, they're demonstrably false, they're, they're smears. And Mitch McConnell and his super PAC is funding that. In the last three weeks, they've put $20 million of negative, nasty ads uh, against me trying to buy this seat uh, for Mr. James because he said he supports Trump 2,000%. He was just at his rally here uh, yesterday, uh, again, supporting him. So we know where he is on that issue. It's, uh, it's very, very clear, which is why we have to get out and definitely make sure that we take back or hold this Senate seat, and we really need the majority in the Senate. I'm pulling my panel here, Robert Patillo, I want to start with you. The voting rights issue is critically important. Uh, I keep saying I, I fully understand what Joe Biden and Kamala Harris talk about uh, the Affordable Care Act, but I think when we look at these judicial rulings that have been coming down from the Supreme Court, from state Supreme Courts, we cannot ignore the reality that there is an effort to steal this election uh, by limiting people's right to vote. Uh, Robert, I can't hear you. Fine. Get Robert's mic fixed. Scott Bolden, take that same question. Absolutely right. Um, you know, I often say that the Democrats, despite the polls, have got to run like they're behind because the Democrats are running against Donald Trump and the GOP. They're running against voter suppression and they're running against Russian interference. And, and the, the empirical data is out there to support that. And so uh, we've got to keep the pressure on. We may be six days out. 70 million people have voted already. This election is pretty important, those 70 million, because that's an active and energized uh, uh, Democratic base. I don't care what Donald Trump's 40% is doing. So, Roland, you're absolutely right. Uh, I have, if I may, one question I have for your panel in Detroit is, is, is that... Uh, what is Detroit doing to get people to the polls, their Democratic base out? Six days out, it's now about taking them to the polls and making sure their vote counts. And uh, I heard the lieutenant governor talk about taking 200 black men in various jurisdictions. I think that's awesome. From a statewide effort, right, how are you getting them to the polls and counting those votes? Because if Michigan is going to be close, counting those votes is super important. Monique Presley, uh, pick up on that particular point, how critically important voting rights will be uh, with the Supreme Court and who controls the United States Senate. They're both 
news to stress it. Uh, frankly, I'm concerned, Roland, and I've been concerned. You know, I've got my Black Voters Matter shirt on. Tonight I see your sweatshirt uh, because we've just kind of leaned in to do everything we possibly can to ensure that people are informed, that people get to the polls early. Well, early is almost over, guys. So if you're still holding on to a mail-in ballot, and Roland already told you this yesterday or the day before, but if you're still holding on to a mail-in ballot and thinking about putting it in a U.S. Anthony, U.S. Postal Service mail immediately, or you need to put that sucker in the trash and get your mask on, get your voting plan, get your snacks, get your chair, get your water, get your parka, whatever it is for your temperature, and go get in the line. I went A, and it was an easy process for me. We just started in Maryland on the 26th, um, but I, I was busy on the 26th, so I did. I went in today, and it was easy, but even if it's hard, to go, because they're doing every single thing they can. So on Moss have to be astounding, overwhelming to the point that even the vote they steal from us don't matter. Robert Patillo, go right ahead with your comment. I was on Iraqi TV trying to explain this election to the uh, to the Middle Eastern audience, and they couldn't get over the concept of that people are waiting in line in the world's most developed democracy for 45 mm -hmm. minutes, an hour, three hours at a time to early vote. They don't understand the, the concept that well, oh, our democracy can be hacked by foreign governments, that we're looking at uh, foreign influence from everyone from Iran to China to Russia. So this election security issue, which this uh, this administration has not taken seriously, has to be at the forefront. We are, in the, we are now in a battle for the question of democracy itself. Uh, that's not hyperbolic in, in any way, shape, or form. And I, I think that one of the things we have to make sure is a crucial and central element in this net administration, assuming that uh, the right side wins is the fact that we have to reform our voting system from the bottom up. Uh, because right now we have not had confidence in any election since the year 2000. And I don't know how much longer we can continue uh, riding this broke down car down the street before the wheels start falling off completely. Come back here, Lieutenant Governor. I want to uh, come to you on that point. Uh, when we talked earlier, you were talking about the changes that were made in this state uh, when it comes when it when it comes to voting. I mean, the attacks that we are seeing on voting are astounding. Literally, Donald Trump is saying, "Do not count any ballots after Tuesday night," which is ludicrous because. We've had numerous elections where stuff happened where they kept counting. First of all, states don't have to certify the results for the Electoral College until December. So this idea that you can't continue counting ballots after Election Day is nonsense. And also, if it's postmarked uh, by the deadline, what's the issue? I mean, this is, this is a clear, blatant attempt to steal not only a presidential election, but Senate elections as well as state elections and local elections. Donald Trump is such a criminal, y'all. I mean, there's no other way to slice it. And uh, he, he lies about everything, but he told the truth about voter suppression. He really does want to make sure that our votes don't count. Well, the thing that I believe about elections is that you can't cheat if we blow them out. The record turnout that we're gonna see in Michigan is gonna make it that much more difficult for Republicans to cheat. We have to overwhelm the cheaters and the liars. That's why I'm encouraging See, people I, I, I to use a, I use a different phrase. I use that scene from the movie, Remember the Titans, where he said, Herman, leave no doubt. 
Hey. Hey, my mission. Now, y'all, did y'all hear Obama use that same line? Y'all know I've been using that line for a while, so. I mean, so, uh, Barack, stop tripping. You know you took it from me, so stop tripping. Go ahead. No, no, no. We, we look, we, we know what we have to do. We made it easier to vote. We just need to finish the job. And I know that Donald Trump also, when he was in Lansing, don't get it twisted. He is encouraging people to come to Michigan polling places and intimidate them. He wants people to stand between you and your ballot box. Voter intimidation is illegal under federal law. But Amy Coney Barrett, she wouldn't admit that. Tammy Klobuchar, she got asked about that. Right. Remember that. But it's illegal under federal law. And I know that sheriffs like Benny Napoleon are going to make sure that voter intimidation doesn't happen in Detroit and in Wayne County. And we're going to make sure that we don't give them a chance to intimidate us out of voting because I believe that voters are going to go vote before Election Day. Again, November 3rd is the last day of the election, not just Election Day. So you can go make a plan to vote and make sure your friends and family, your neighbors, everybody you love, everybody who loves you, makes a plan to vote too. Because we have something to vote for, not just to vote against Donald Trump, but to vote for our future here in Michigan. Sure, we've, we've, we've seen people, we've seen folks out there recording individuals dropping out their mail ballots. Uh, we, we've seen, uh, we saw in Minnesota uh, where there were privately, there were private guards hired to purposely intimidate folks at the polls. As somebody who's in law enforcement, um, uh, you speak to that and also speak to, uh, frankly, uh, other law enforcement officers who are very proactively supporting uh, Trump and Republicans saying nothing when that's illegal to intimidate voters. Well, I, I can tell you unequivocally that uh, I am in the definite minority when it comes to uh, law enforcement leadership in this state. I was one of the few people to step up and say immediately that I will be prepared to assist any community in Wayne County that has an issue with voter intimidation. I will be ready, and trust me, I will be ready uh, to, to assist in, in the event that uh, in the event that that is happening. You, law enforcement leadership has to change. And honestly, uh, we're going to need some federal legislation to mandate that, uh, Senator Peters, because it won't happen on the local level because the thought process uh, in, a, in a lot of communities is a lot different than the progressive uh, thought process that you see uh, really dominating this country. And until such time as we kind of force some people to do some of the things that really need to be done from a law enforcement uh, perspective when it comes to reform, it really is not going to happen. So we really need to start looking, rolling at making sure that we get a mandate in the Senate that we have a, a Congress totally that's supportive and have a president that will sign it to see some real criminal justice reform. If that doesn't happen, you are not going to see it. I'm just going to be blatantly honest with you. So I want to pick up on that point right there, Senator Peters. I, I have been uh, befuddled and confused as to why Democrats are not taking credit for the First Step Act. First of all, Donald Trump is running around making it sound like he is the criminal justice messiah when the reality is the First Step Act passed the House first. Democrats control that. Trump folks want initially to do prison reform. They were forced to do criminal justice reform. When it went to the Senate, there were people like Senator Cory Booker, Senator Kamala Harris, Senator Dick Durbin, uh, even Republican Chuck Grassley, who said this is not good enough. I don't understand why Democrats are letting this man run as if he was the sole force behind the First Step Act when Democrats made it possible. 
take credit for stuff y'all do. Well, I'm with you, Roland, and uh, we do. We need to speak out because you're right. It was Democrats that pushed it. Uh, we do want to take it even further, though it doesn't go far enough, as you know, which is part of our efforts. But, it, you know, I think we got to get back. We got to remember, too, when we're looking at police uh, reform and the bills after the, the horrific murder of uh, George Floyd, when we needed to take immediate action, uh, that, that we're, we're past the time for studies and discussion. It's time to take immediate action now. And we've got to call out the Republicans for that. We had the opportunity. The House passed a very comprehensive bill, as you know. Things that we know that we can do. We can ban chokeholds. There's no reason to have chokeholds. We don't need to study it. We don't need to investigate it. We just need to ban it. We've got to pass a law to do that. Other things that we must do, and the Democrats have leaned into, but we're going to need to take the majority in the Senate to do it, is that if a police officer is accused of, of wrongdoing, uh, there needs to be an independent investigation outside of the department where you have a fresh set of eyes. You don't need to study that anymore. We know that is the way to maintain trust in a community, and I think the sheriff will agree that trust is the most important part uh, of making sure that law enforcement is integrated in that community. And, and if you have wrongdoing and it goes uh, to an, or a, a, an investigation in the department, there's a perception it's the good old boy network, once again, taking care of their own and not dispensing true justice. We don't need to study that. We don't need to look into it as the Republicans were talking about it. We just need to pass the bill. It passed the House. It didn't pass the Senate. In fact, the bill that they put before us had such a low bar, it was an embarrassment. They just wanted to appear like they're doing something when in reality they weren't. The bill was before us. I talked to Reverend Wenthel Anthony, the NAACP, uh, Reverend Bland, the Council of Baptist Ministers, uh, folks from the Urban League. They said, Senator, don't vote for that bill because you can't start negotiations at the floor. You've got to bring it up, and we've got to lean into it. But it was clear that Mitch McConnell and the Republican Senate had no desire whatsoever to deal with it. And I can guarantee everyone in this audience, when I get reelected, when we take the majority in the United States Senate, it will be a priority. We don't need to talk about it anymore. We don't need any committee hearings. We just need to put it on the floor, send it to President Biden, and get it signed into law, and that is what we will do. Roland, I, I have to, because it's just talking about that. Look, the citizens, in, especially in urban communities, need to have more say-so in the hiring and the firing process when it comes to the people who police their community. When I joined the Detroit Police Department many, many years ago, I, the, 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 one of the final steps was an oral interview. I had three cops on that interview. Why shouldn't they have had a citizen from the city of Detroit sitting on that interview judging whether or not I was somebody they wanted to police their community. Same thing goes when we fire people. I have fired many an officer to go to arbitration, people that I don't believe should be in law enforcement, and you have an arbitrator who gives them their job back. Why aren't citizens involved in that arbitration process that to determine when someone comes back into their community. So but, 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 the, but the arbitration process, though, the problem is not the arbitration process. The problem is what was negotiated uh, that, that allows it to happen. So, for instance, in Georgia, until there was outrage in Georgia, a police officer who was, uh, un, who was possibly looking at being indicted had the right to sit in the grand jury in Georgia up until two years ago. So it's not a, a secret. A secret grand jury. Now, mind you, if, if any of us got called into a grand jury to testify, we couldn't even bring our lawyer in. State law allowed the officer to sit in the grand jury to hear 
testimony against him or her. You also have the rules that says that, oh, if an officer is involved in a shooting or some incident, they can wait five days before they give testimony. In some places, they allow them to review the testimony, the, the, the witness interviews before they make their interview. That, so that's really where on the front end, what has to happen as far as I'm concerned, city leaders, county leaders, and state leaders have to draw a line in saying, no, that will not be in the contract. And if that's not in the contract, we're not signing a contract. It, there cannot be two systems, one for law enforcement and one for the rest of us. I, I don't disagree with you at all. I, I agree with you 100%. I do support the arbitration process when it comes to wages and benefits and things of that nature. But there are other parts of it that really just don't make sense. I don't see any reason why I, I can fire a person as the leader of the agency and then someone decides, well, the sheriff said that, but, you know, I'm going to bring that person back. And then that person comes right back into the agency and everybody says, well, uh, I guess the sheriff can't really do that. You know, people that you know don't belong right. in the profession. And that happens, unfortunately, frequently. And Lieutenant Governor, not only that, not, not only the, the issue that I also have, we saw this with uh, the case uh, in, um, uh, in, uh, with Tamir Rice. Officer gets fired, he goes right next door, gets hired. I believe that if an officer gets fired, if they have been fired for, uh, for a shooting or whatever, that, li that license should be pulled and they should not be able to be rehired in a county next door. So one of the things that we have worked toward in our administration, we have something in Michigan called the Michigan Commission on Law Enforcement Standards. That's what literally sets the standard for how law enforcement professionals govern themselves. This is a body that until we took executive action this spring had no civilian participation. It Very was true. all law enforcement professionals deciding how law enforcement professionals act. Last time I checked, law enforcement professionals don't only deal with law enforcement professionals. They deal with regular people. And so therefore, we needed to have a role in how we define what it means to be a law enforcement professional in this state. When we have that voice, including, including the Michigan director of the Department of Civil Rights and other civilians who we've appointed to that board. That begins to change the culture and what it means to be a law enforcement professional, how we train people, how we support law enforcement professionals. Because don't, let's be clear, law enforcement is a hard job. We need to have supports available. And people are empathetic to that because we want law enforcement professionals to be successful. But we need to work together on this by setting a different standard. And that would include defining accountability. Because yes, if you have broken a rule or broken the law or hurt someone in one jurisdiction, that's relevant to what you would do in another jurisdiction. So we should take that seriously, and have a process to deal with that and so that there can be not only accountability, but also a chance to be able to make these things right. We've started that process here in Michigan and I believe that that's a model how that can go forward nationally. To my panel back in D.C., get ready, I'm going to come back to you in a second. Senator Peters, um, uh, on that same vein, um, let's say things go well on Tuesday. You win re-election, Democrats get control of the Senate. What, what, is, what will be, I mean, will the issue of criminal justice reform, will that be one of the top three priorities once the new Congress is sworn into session? Uh, there, there's no question uh, it is going to be the top priority, although I was to be clear that the top priority and what I hear, and I mentioned this earlier in the program, 
is getting through the coronavirus uh, crisis. I mean, that's just got to be number one. We've got to make sure we get through this health. Here we are still sitting here with our mask and doing social distancing. We shouldn't be doing this so long. It's a, it's a result of the fact that we have a president who ignored the, the severity of what he was dealing with, did not manage it properly, and quite frankly, he needs to be fired for messing up on the job and why we're still here. So we've got to do that. Wait a minute. They, 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 they just put together a report saying that, uh, that mission accomplished. Yeah. Yeah, look at all of us here. Is this mission accomplished? Uh, look at all of us here. You're right. It's, it, it's uh, the, uh, the constant spin that we see. So we've got to fix that. That's got to be first and foremost, dealing with that and making sure jobs. But then we got a long list, and there's no question that we are far past time for criminal justice reform. It will be a top priority that really fits in with all of that as well to, to go forward. And if I may uh, mention, uh, actually, legislation to deal with what Sheriff Napoleon mentioned, too, in, in having folks in the community and the lieutenant governor as well, is that I want that to be part of that police reform. I've introduced legislation to help police departments recruit folks. As the lieutenant governor mentioned, being a police officer is not, a, not an easy job. It's, it's tough. And it's sometimes it's difficult to recruit good folks uh, into the profession. So how do we do that? And how do we also strengthen something that we know is incredibly important for trust in the community? And that's community policing and understanding that when you have folks who live in the community, who understand the community, those are the folks you want to hire to be in law enforcement because they know the community and equally important, the community knows them. It's a two-way street. So the legislation I have that we would hope to put in there uh, is a grant program to have Sheriff Napoleon can recruit, and then we'll have a grant, a federal grant that'll pay for police academy, pay for any courses that you need in criminal justice to get your certification to be an officer. It's all paid for, it's a grant, and it'll all be forgiven under one condition. You spend at least four years working in the police department or the sheriff department in your own community. If you serve in your community, all of that will be forgiven. I understand after four years, people will probably stay a whole lot longer, but the idea is let's recruit from within. Let's have our own come in and work and make sure that we can set them uh, on their life, and that's got to be a priority for and us. That's not a foreign concept because we're the same thing when it comes to folks who go work, uh, who are doctors who work in uh, certain areas. I want to go back to my panel. I have three lawyers on the panel uh, on, on this whole issue here. We're actually seeing this. Uh, I talked about the First Step Act. I talked about, uh, again, how I think Democrats are not taking uh, more advantage of this. Robert Patillo, I'm going to start with you. Um, you know, this is going to, this is, look, it's an Achilles heel for Joe Biden, the 94 crime bill. We see this in focus groups. Uh, Senator Kamala Harris, uh, people still criticize her record as attorney general and district attorney as well. Again, I believe the Democrats have to be far more aggressive on explaining what they have actually done with criminal justice reform and not let Donald Trump somehow act like uh, he's been the king of it. Robert, I'm going to start with you first. Well, you know, it makes me think back to LBJ. If you looked at LBJ in 1936 all the way up until 1956, you know, he was a Southern Dixiecrat segregationist senator uh, who blocked every piece of civil rights legislation he could find. But as president, he governed in that tradition of Kennedy. He governed as the president of voting rights, so as the president of the civil rights, as the president uh, ending redlining and ending uh, uh, racial segregation, where you're having important cases on the Commerce Clause and the ability of African Americans to live outside of, of segregated South. So with that in mind, looking at Joe Biden, the 90, uh, 94 crime bill and even the 86 and the 84 crime initiatives, looking at Kamala Harris and the baggage she carries from both being district attorney and attorney general, I think this gives them a tremendous opportunity to be more aggressive 
on criminal justice reform and criminal prosecution reform than any president previously. But president Obama always had the Achilles heel of not trying to seem as if he was favoring the African-American community, that he was doing more for them being the black president. What was the old saying? He's not the president of black America. He's the president of all of America. And for some, somehow black America got forgotten in that saying. So I think what has to happen going forward is that because Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have this baggage uh, on criminal justice, they should be more aggressive in setting, in, uh, setting out their vision for what will happen within the first 100 days uh, of being elected. So, uh, articulate that you're going to release black political prisoners who have been uh, incarcerated for decades. Articulate that you're going to uh, retroactively expunge records on uh, marijuana, which crippled, uh, crippled families and communities for generations, and now other communities are becoming billionaires off of. You can have a bold, strong, and assertive message, and it is our job as a community to ensure that they follow through in that because they're going to depend on us for this win. Monique, it was very interesting sitting in that restaurant in Atlanta last night, seeing that commercial. I, the sound wasn't up. What I saw was grainy video. I knew what the video was. And all I saw were these black and white images, of uh, these tight shots of these black men. Uh, and I saw the Biden video, and I said, really? Is that what the Trump folks are doing? I mean, they are really trying to make it seem like uh, that, oh, like he is just the absolute benefactor of black men in this country. So let me just start by correcting the immediate record from what my colleague Robert just said. And I'm going to start with Senator. She's not carrying baggage regarding criminal justice reform, regarding criminal prosecution. What she's carrying is the banner of a prosecutor and an attorney general, statewide attorney general, first black woman ever to hold the office in California, who did her job with excellence. Part of doing that job was pioneering a re-entry program for our returning citizens who have been incarcerated and modeled by every other attorney general to enact similar programs in the United States of America. And it is not that she has not been saying that. It is that when sometimes a woman, especially a black woman, talks about the things that they've accomplished, the voice gets lost in the shuffle. So what I kind of need is for black men like my two colleagues who are on with me right now and anybody else who wants to, to echo and repeat. Here's what Senator Harris did in order to enable citizens who were re-entering the criminal justice system. Here's what Senator Harris did for moms who were concerned about their sons being slain in the streets. Here's what Senator Harris did about sexual abuse uh, perps going unanswered and unprosecuted because all of those things are not baggage. Those are medals of honor and she should be treated as where Vice President Biden is concerned and the 94 crime bill and anything that happened before that. Let's just be honest. People who were in office then who were black in the Senate and in the House who are still in office now were also in support of that legislation. So he hasn't thrown anybody else under the bus and thus he's still trying to survive himself and say what is the truth, that they had a misunderstanding of the right way to handle crime in 1994. And there were of that, that were unforeseen and unwanted. And for that, they all owe an apology, and there has already been a correction. But 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 as far as I'm concerned, uh, yeah, that's that's all I got, Roland. I, I don't... 
slight 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 correction. Not all black caucus not all black caucus members uh in ninety four actually voted for the crime bill. But I understand your point overall. Not Scott all. Bolden, you got you got a response to Monique? Well that's hard to follow up. <laughs> I'll supplement by merely well, look, saying... Look, hey, 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 well, well, just... Look, you got to follow it, so suck it up. You're a Kappa, and Alpha <laughs> would follow it, so go ahead. <laughs> he, he says it much better than I, I can, but let me say this. I, I'll say it more clear, if I will. There were a lot of white Republicans that supported that bill, and it wasn't about criminal justice. It was about crack addiction and drug addiction, and, and they addressed it as it was a criminal problem, it was a health issue. It was a health issue then, and all of a sudden, the opiate crisis that affects more white folks than black folks affects both of them. Now, the Republicans won't treat it as a, as a health issue. I'm glad they've come to the realization, but they can't apologize or be take their hands off for the 1994 crime bill. And I wish Biden and Harris would just say that. They supported it, too. Mitch McConnell supported it, too. And so uh, I, I, I don't... I think the Democrats could do a better job of messaging on that. And then secondly, I was a former black prosecutor in New York City, right? I was an asset to the community because I treated drug addiction and put people in programs because I didn't see it as a crime. I treated drug dealers differently, if you will. And I brought my set of values and my life experiences from my community in Joliet, Illinois, and in Atlanta, and my life experiences to exercising that incredible power of discretion. We better be glad we got black prosecutors if they're committed to the community in those positions. So I have no problem with Kamala's leadership. She was outstanding, and she did more help for the black community than incarceration for the black community. It's a bottom line proposition, and it never stops being that. All right, folks. Uh... I could t I could have lawyers talk all day. We'll be here all day. Uh, gotta go to the commercial break. We come when we come back and roll them on unfiltered. More from our panel here in Detroit. Uh, lots more uh, to talk about here with this election right here in Rollermart Unfiltered, broadcasting live from Detroit. We'll be back in a moment. I mean, if you like the way it's that's what's going on around you, and and that's the way it is, then fine. But I said, if if that's how it is, then sit it out. But whatever happens, then you own it. And if you own it, then you can't complain about it. After I caught my first felony when I was 17 years old, I felt like basically I just, I ain't count. My probation told me you can't vote, you got a felony. It just made me feel like I wasn't wanted or I wasn't supposed to be involved. My mama told me, like, son, you need to be, get involved. There's a lot of things going on in the world. Your voice matter. And I'm like, I can't, I ain't got no voice. I can't vote. And she's like, oh, yeah, yes, you can. So I called my lawyers, because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't doing anything wrong. And I figured out I qualified. I just feel like, damn, let's do it. To me, it was an accomplishment. Like, damn, like, I graduated high school, so. Look at look what we've done so far. It still need to be ten times better, but you gotta vote. That's what changed the rules. That's to change the laws. I really felt good voting, like because I was told I couldn't, or I was told I wouldn't be able to, to clean up or, or get away from my past. 
and look where I'm at now. I voted, and I was able to be a part of where I live, which is here at home, America. My voice mattered. It's Nia Long. Listen, I'm where I am today because a lot of people believed in me. They knew I could make an impact if I had a chance to have my voice heard. In this election, voting is our chance to make an impact. So please, South Carolina, vote early, in person, between October 5th and November 2nd. And if you need a free ride to vote, use promo code VOTETOLIVESC in your Lyft app. Visit VoteToLive.org for more information. Paid for by Collective Future. All right, folks, welcome back. We're live in Detroit here uh, at the, uh, this is, this is the, the 14th, 14th Congressional District, but they said the 14th Democratic Office. It was like all the different titles here. Uh, and so what happened was, let me tell you, I, I called Congresswoman Brenda Lawrence, and I said, Congresswoman, I'm traveling around the country uh, doing the show. Would love to come to Detroit. Uh, she said, fine, done taken care of, uh, and so uh, she set this up. Uh, she was supposed to be with us, uh, had a death in her family. Uh, her sister passed away, and we certainly want to offer our condolences. I chatted with her earlier, uh, and so we certainly wish she, she was here, but uh, she has to be with her family there in San Antonio. We certainly appre we understand that uh, and appreciate that, so condolences go out to her and prayers for her family uh, as well. Uh, we're back here, of course, uh, with uh, Sheriff I call him Sheriff Benny. I kept told Sheriff in the break, I said, you need to get you some new mask, Sheriff. That, that mask is a little small. And he, he, he was struggling trying to talk. He kept, pulling, he kept pulling it down. I was like, come on, man. Get, come on, get, get you an extra large mask. You're trying to have that, have that baby mask down there. Uh, and, of course, <laughs> of course, Senator Gary Peters is with us as well. Uh, just for a few more moments, uh, Senator Peters, I, I want to start with you. Um, we, we talked last time about priorities. Um, one of the things that people want to know, they, they've witnessed what McConnell has done. They've witnessed Lindsey Graham lie and say, roll, save the tape, roll the tape. We're not going to put a judge through. And this was after Kavanaugh. So when he tries to say Kavanaugh changed everything, he's full of crap because he actually changed everything. Um, I have been getting this around the country. Folks want to know if Democrats get control of the Senate are they going to learn how to use power and wield power and fight as opposed to say, well, no, we're going to play by the rules? Because obviously they ain't playing by no rules. Well, there, there's no question uh, that we have a long list of things to deal with, as you mentioned, uh, dealing with criminal justice reform, getting through the COVID crisis. We have to take action uh, immediately to do that. And, and we would certainly... Welcome, Republicans coming along with us, but uh, I'm not naive. You're not naive. We understand what happened when... Mr. I wouldn't Bacon ask him. Yeah. Senator, I, look, I'm just tell, look, I'm just being perfectly honest with you. I, I'm, of the, I'm of the school. If they ignored me when they had power, I'm going to ignore them. I saw a tweet the other day from Senator Marco Rubio. He says, 52 legitimately elected United States senators went through a process and legitimately passed, uh, voted for Senator Amy, uh, for Amy Coney Barrett for the Supreme Court. When I listen to them criticize, talk about court packing, first of all, let's be real clear. Let's be real clear. The United States Constitution does not require non-Supreme Court justices. We've had less. We've had more. That's, uh, that's all there as well. Democrats, if they choose to expand the court, the Constitution allows that power. 
I'm just simply saying that if they ignored y'all, y'all could just give them the hand if you got the numbers and say, we about to roll this thing through because I, I just don't believe, I know Michelle Obama said, when they go high, we go low. I say, when they go low, hit their ass and ankles. That's just me. That's just me. But I'm just saying, but, but I'm saying, I think a lot of people want to see Democrats fight and say, since that, since y'all clearly do not want to play by the rules, fine. No rules? Gotcha. We're going to show y'all we can play this game, too. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to get that out. You know, I'm just saying. Well, no, it's, uh, it is, obviously, we've got to take action. We've got to move it. We know what the House Democrats uh, have done. We've got to be able to get it through the Senate and get it to Vice President Biden. We, we know that uh, for the last four years, things have not happened that uh, is impacting the lives of everyday folks all across Detroit, all across Michigan and the country. And when we have the majority, when we take the majority, which is why it's important, then we need to be held accountable for actually delivering to the people in Michigan and delivering to folks all across uh, the country. Uh, the needs are great. Uh, you can uh, be assured that we're going to do what we have to do to get this country uh, back on track. A uh, couple of more. We got one more minute with you, and that is uh, obviously no Democrat can win without significant black support. Make the case to African Americans who are watching right now around the country why uh, they should, you should be the one they pick over John James to go back to the United States Senate. Well, I, I think folks should look at uh, my record. I've had the uh, privilege of actually representing uh, the city of Detroit when I represented this uh, congressional district in the 14th district, focused on issues that matter to folks uh, in this uh, community as well as around uh, the state. I've been a champion for health care, and right now health care is definitely on the ballot right now. Health care, the ability for that, for, for, uh, to get health care is impacting the lives of hundreds of thousands of folks here in the city of Detroit and places all across the uh, uh, the state. And I guess I'll just tell you the story related to the Affordable Care Act and what I think folks want in, in an elected person. You know, I came in with President Obama. When President Obama was elected, I came in in 2008 and immediately we had the Affordable Care Act. I was in a tough district. I, I, I was up in Oakland County and I actually won a district. I was the first Democrat since 1893 to represent uh, that district. And President went forward with the Affordable Care Act. And as if you remember how contentious that was and the big town hall meetings and people hollering and screaming. And in my district, uh, we had one town hall meeting with 1,200 people at a high school that were yelling and screaming. Another 1,200 outside that were yelling and screaming to come in. And I said, well, I'm going to read this bill. And I'm going to read it and determine whether or not. I had my political folks say, say, Gary, if you vote for this bill, there's no way you're going to get reelected. It's just not popular. This is too Republican of a district. I read the bill. The more I read, I said, yeah, it's not perfect, but it really moves us in a way that we have to go. And at that time, thousands of people died because they didn't have access to quality health care. So I made a decision. I said, I don't care uh, if I get elected or not. Uh, I'm going to vote for this. Uh, this, is, this is too important. And I'll tell you, I, I still remember vividly that day uh, when the, it came up on the board in the House of Representatives, and I walked up, and you have to push a little green button to vote yes. And I remember when I went up there, I said, this means I will not be coming back to the United States Congress. But the reason I ran for office was to make a difference. And if I can push a button and literally save the lives of tens of thousands of people, that is all that matters. And I proudly voted for Obamacare. Thank you. And, and then what happened? I actually got reelected. I got reelected because if you believe in what you do, and if, you're, if your heart takes you forward and says, this is the right thing for people, I don't care about elections. That's not why I ran for political office. It's to make a difference in people's lives. 
I demonstrated that when I supported President Obama in, in passing the Affordable Care Act. I will continue to fight for the Affordable Care Act that we make it even better and stronger. And if folks uh, vote for me to uh, have another term in the United States Senate, please know I do it from my heart and I'm constantly focused on what's right for the people of the state of Michigan. That's what I do each and every day, and I'll continue to do it for another term. All right, Senator Gary Peters, I certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Thank you, Thank you for joining me. Uh, and if, so if you're asking, yes, uh, we did reach out. I did reach out to John James' office. Uh, they didn't hit us back. So uh, the black guy won't come talk to a black, uh, black media show. So y'all just factor that in when y'all go vote. Uh, Senator Gary Peters, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Uh, I'm going to go to a break. We're continuing our panel here. Well, actually, I'm not going to go to a break. I'm going to toss this back to our, to our panel first, and I'm going to throw this question out. Uh, I guess I'll start with Scott Bolden. I normally start with Monique or Robert because, you know, Scott talks too damn long. Um, uh, but, Scott, but I'm righteous uh, one of the in my things word. That, uh, I'm righteous in my word. Yeah, yeah, okay. One of the things that we also <laughs> will be looking at, Scott, here, when you look at these closing days, I mean, bottom line is this is not about uh, trying to lay out more policy plans. This is really about stating your case right now uh, to the voters. Uh, what should the closing argument be for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris? What should it be for Democrats in these closing days? Uh, up and down the ticket, it ought to be corona the state of the economy because of the COVID virus, uh, our plan versus their lack of having any plan, and then health care and improving Obamacare. You believe in the Democrats and you believe in your vote. It's a vote for hope, not fear. It's a hope for science, not fiction. And it's a hope for a better tomorrow for all of us, not just the 40% of the Republicans who are diehard Trump supporters. That's really what this election is about. And if I was Biden and Harris, I'd be hammering that home. If I'm running for the Senate, the House, or State House, I'd be hammering that home. 70 million people have voted already, majority of them Democrats based on some reports, and many more are going to vote. But that's really what's at stake. The, and, and, and the right to vote and the voters, the saturation of reminding people to vote has been more powerful than ever. But that's the choice voters have to make. And hopefully they'll make them for Biden and Harris and Democrats up and down the ticket. Robert Patillo, closing arguments, what are they? We're in a battle for the nation's soul. We're in an ex we are in an existential crisis. Uh, we are li living in a place where right now there are right-wing militias roaming multiple U.S. cities, where we're seeing a rise in white supremacy and white nationalism. We are seeing a situation where we are, do not have a national plan to contain an international pandemic. And while all these things are going around, we have a, a far right-wing media that is focusing on conspiracy theories and, uh, and Russian propaganda. We have to have a return to normalcy where we have a government which is focused on the needs of the American people, your economic needs, your health care needs, your family needs, uh, uh, and every other need which the American people have, and not simply the enrichment of a small group of oligarchs. This is a question of what America will be for the remainder of this century. If we get this wrong, we, can, uh, we do not know from where we'll have to come back from. Monique Presley, closing arguments. In case anyone has ever doubted it, leadership matters. And the absence of leadership matters even more. This in right now is directly because of an absence of leadership by the United States Congress, 
specifically the Senate, and by the highest office in the land and supposedly the world, the United States president. We can end this chaos. We can end this confusion. We can stop having to go to virtual weddings, virtual funerals, virtual birthday parties. We can stop having to grieve separately. We can stop all of the things that we are experiencing due to failure of leadership by electing Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and voting blue all the way down the ticket so that they are not stymied when they get into office, but they have a Senate and a House who will back their plan. Our very lives depend upon it. All right, uh, Monique, Scott, Robert, we certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Uh, we're going to go to a break. We come back live here in Detroit. We'll have a, a panel here, uh, and then we'll talk to Sh actress Cheryl Lee Ralph uh, as well. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting live from Detroit. We'll be back in a moment. I mean, if you like the way it's happening, that's what's going on around you, and, and that's the way it is, then fine. But I said, if, if that's how it is, then sit it out. But whatever happens, then you own it. And if you own it, then you can't complain about it. Hey, it's Nia Long. Listen, I'm where I am today because a lot of people believed in me. They knew I could make an impact if I had a chance to have my voice heard. In this election, voting is our chance to make an impact. So please, South Carolina, vote early, in person, between October 5th and November 2nd. And if you need a free ride to vote, use promo code vote to live sc in your Lyft app. Visit VoteToLive.org for more information. Paid for by Collective Future. What's up, what's up? I'm Dr. Ricky Dillard, the choir master. Hey, yo, peace world. What's going on? It's the love king of R&B, Raheem Devon, and you're watching Roland Martin, Unfiltered. Y'all clap, 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 clap. Hey, folks, welcome back to Rolling Martin Unfiltered here in Detroit. Glad to be here. Let me bring up my next panel, uh, Al Elvin, president of the Detroit Alphas uh, and state senator from the 4th District and chair of the Michigan Legislative Black Caucus, Marshall Bullock. Hey, folks, how we doing? What, what's, what's, that, what's that little group you in? Oh, well, first, well, first of all, uh, you can't be talking about how you're in Omega. You can't grab the microphone. I mean, you got, I mean, see, check, see, y'all, y'all ain't used to being on, y'all ain't used to nice stuff. I know. I mean, you, you come on, you start talking, ain't no microphone. I, the alpha grabbed the microphone. See, I mean, we, you know. I have a comment for that, but I'm going to keep it to myself. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. See, see, that's how it goes. Welcome uh, to Detroit, Roland. I'm gl glad to be here, glad to be here, glad uh, for folks who came out. We certainly appreciate that. Uh, let me ask you this question. Again, we, we, we talk about, uh, I talked earlier about how state houses have flipped. And, 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 and one of the things that I really think that we have to get back to, in every single city, We've got to actually have civics lessons, lessons, because the average person really doesn't understand how legislation happens. Folk go, out, well, I haven't seen your name on a bill, I don't see you on TV. And the, but the, and the reality is, um, uh, a lot of the changes happening in this country are happening on the state level and not in the nation's capital. I agree. Most of the things, politics are local. And I, I, I go back to teaching, when I go to schools, I like to teach civics to the kids. I think the earlier we start, the better they'll be. It's all about political literacy. And uh, as the lieutenant governor said earlier about flipping the house, 
those of us that are in the legislature have to do things that we're not accustomed to doing is go help our other counterparts in marginal areas. So I was just knocking doors on the west side of the state and knocking doors up in Saginaw, knocking doors in Benton Harbor. So those are things that we have to do, and they only need four seats to flip the House. And we keep that momentum in the state of Michigan, we can flip the Senate with just four seats. And so we have a close margin to overturn all of that and still have a Democratic governor, which we haven't had in almost half my lifetime. Al, on that point, I, I have uh, I gave the Brotherhood speech at the Alpha Convention a couple of years ago uh, in Baltimore, and I have been saying this for more than a decade uh, that uh, there are a lot of we talk about alphas and omegas and kappas and sigmas and AKAs and deltas and zetas and sigma gamma rho, iotas, and got on a whole line with the divine nine. I said, but there's a bunch of folk uh, who don't see us on a regular basis. I think one of the areas that we can do, aside from our inside internal meetings is literally have uh, have these citizenship training classes. We saw a lot of that during the Black Freedom Movement, the Civil Rights Movement, where people were being taught. Because, again, you got folk who say, I got a problem with my water bill, and they call in the state rep. Exactly. And I have to... I, I got a problem with this, and they call in the state senator. Or, I can't get my Social Security check. No, baby, that's your member of Congress. And, and, and I think... And I think also how you connect the dots because folks say well in this state 90,000 people left the top of the ticket blank in 2016 70,000 in Detroit if half of those folk did not leave the top of the ticket blank and chose Clinton over over Trump she wins by 25,000 and I think people don't understand who points the federal judges president who confirms the federal judges, senators. So if you want federal judges that are going to be right-wing judges, then you're going to vote for John James. If you say, well, I'm going to vote for him because he's black, but he's going to vote for judges like far. Donald Trump has had 218 federal judges. He's appointed one black. One out of 218. So the question is, who, who will John James vote for? Those are the federal judges who are ruling on voting, who are ruling on the environment, who are ruling on civil rights. And so we have to connect the dots for a lot of people who don't understand politics in that way. So, so I would certainly agree with that. We spend a lot of time in schools with our go to, go to high school, go to college program. I know that other groups do the same thing. And maybe it's time that we look at what we're doing together and do some sort of civics lessons so we, people understand what's going on. We spend time in the classrooms with parents, too. When we're when we're ministering to the to the kids, yeah. I, so we definitely need to do that. I, I'm saying I believe that the divine nine should say we are going to have community-based civic training once a week, and look, it's nine groups. All you gotta do is take yours once every nine weeks. Exactly. But, Exactly. And Detroit, I would say this about our Divine Nine. We are actually close and do a lot of things together. Um, more often what we do is the men, the, the fraternities work together and the sororities do their thing. But we probably do need to stop operating in those two silos and do it all together and map out a real plan structure about civics and, and political literacy. Right. And I'm just talking about, and again, if you look at, if you look at, if you look at the Saturday workshop that Re Reverend Jackson has done in Chicago for all these years, that's what that Saturday workshop was. It, it was sort of that training piece. So what I'm talking about is if, if it's this particular church or if you move it around or whatever the heck, but it's easy if you have one location, and you say, all right, fine, 
first first the first week alphas you got go go from who's the first all the way down to who's the last and say again you got one we're not asking you to do it every week ask you once every nine weeks you can invite politicians in you can invite other people in and allow people to come in who want to learn about politics because i believe that once we begin to educate more people especially younger folks especially people who are disaffected now they begin to understand how this thing works. Now they realize, oh, so we're talking about what's going on with schools. I'm going to the wrong person. I should be going over here. Yes. Yep. To me, that's, that's, that should be a part, one of the things that we do post this election. Your point is well taken. And uh, Marshall said the same thing. We all doing the same things, but we're doing them separately. We do need to get together and put something together where we can, you know, explain the processes and, and, and the vote electoral process and things of that nature to some of our residents, some of, our, some of the, the people who live here, so they can be informed when they go out to vote. We're all trying to inform our citizens to vote. We're just doing it differently, but maybe we do need to come together and get something done. I'm down. But also, Marshall, this, has, this is another piece right here, because uh, I'm a huge believer in this, is there has to be data collection. Absolutely. Because one of the things that we are good at, we're good at uh, organizing marches and protests, but you have to collect data. So, for instance, if there's an education protest, I need to collect the data of everybody who's there because when I need folk to then come to the school board meeting, I already have a group who I can tap into to say, hey, I need 50 of y'all of the 500 y'all who were there. I just need 50 of y'all to show up to the school board meeting or I need 50 of you to show up to the city council meeting or 50 of you to go to the county commissioner's meeting. Again, that's that to me, that's that's how we take our numbers and mobilize and organize. Yeah, I think with all the electronic and technology, we're doing that more and more now. And then, uh, again, if we reach them, the earlier we reach folks about civics and civil liberties, once that kid becomes a first-time voter, they usually become lifetime voters. If you wait till you're 38 to vote, that's a different story. we got to persuade you, convince you. But if we teach you all these things the earlier, and it matura your maturation process is to always be involved and collect that data. And I think we have all of that to the tools at our disposal now to keep that and put it in one place. What are y'all seeing on the ground here six days before the election? Uh, what do you see happening in communities? Uh, are people energized? Are there areas of weakness that folks need to be focusing on over the next six days before Tuesday? One of the things I'm seeing, I can speak for, for, for what I've seen, uh, there has been a tremendous effort to get out the vote like I have not seen in recent history. Uh, I was, we were part of an event with the NAACP last Saturday where we worked to get the vote out and we went out and canvassed in the neighborhood, all in the uh, new center area, which is like Midtown Detroit. So we, we, I've seen a lot of effort. Uh, I've also seen some, some voters who, uh, some people who were not voting. And I've tried to talk to them because I'm actually running for an office. So I tried to talk to them about making sure they're doing the right thing. And what getting you running for? School board. Got it. And, and Man, you, can't, you, can't, you can't be on a broadcast and say, I'm running for office. you got to name what you're running for. you got to take your shot. Yeah, Alpha. So I'm, running for, I'm running for school board in Oak Park. Don't get hurt. Here, but yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm doing because I want to affect change in my community. Gotcha. Yep. What do you see on the ground? I think it's, it's a, a, the 14th in particular, but just all over the state there is a, 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 a mega swell of people coming out, people have lawn signs. It almost feels like the 08-ish, but not as much, but it, it's, it's really moving swell. And then you got folks who are, you know, 
saying they haven't voted in a while, they're coming back, they're registering to vote, and we made it easier in Michigan. You can register the day of at the at the polls. No excuses. No excuses. Now, no excuses. Now, now is that is that only in early voting, but it's all, on November third as well? No, you can yeah, you can register at the polling site. You can on register on the day of, of oh, November third. If you don't have, I mean, I mean, we've made sure we've been informing returning citizens. They have a right to vote as long as you're not incarcerated in Michigan. You can vote, so you shouldn't have any excuse for that either. So, so if you serve your time. You can vote when you get out. You can vote as long as you, you could be in jail waiting to be sentenced and you're still eligible to vote in Michigan. Oh, okay. So they, they have to get you a ballot, et cetera. So it's about informing, making sure people know what's happening on the ground, and then also making sure people know about the nonpartisan part of the ballot, which is proposals, which is the judges, which is the school board. Yes, those things are just as important locally than they actually, are. Actually, they're even more because yes. you're more impacted by those local positions. So, yeah. So, you know, and then, you know, I mean, I'm fighting for my man, Gary Peters, and I've yet to see the other candidate even mention Black Lives Matter, where I've seen Gary say those things. So I'm just, you know, making sure that we out and we're doing what we can. We're knocking doors all the way up until the day of. We need more volunteers to count these ballots. In Michigan, we passed legislation to actually start counting the ballots a day before. We try to get a longer time, but that's what we, at least we got an extra day right. to start a day ahead. So it'll kind of combat some of these things that's coming out of Washington. All right. Well, gentlemen, we certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Uh, keep up the good work. Thanks for having me. All right, thank you so very much. Hey, folks, Dr. J is one of the folks who also is talking about the importance of getting out to vote. This is what he had to say. Hi, it's Julius Irving, Sixer fans. Pennsylvania is one of the states that will decide this election, and the road to the White House begins here. Donald Trump won this state by less than one percentage point, and we cannot let that happen again. Joe Biden is the president we need to slam dunk COVID-19, fight for equality, and build this country back better than ever before. Your voice matters. And we need to hear it on November 3rd. So please register to vote on IWillVote.com slash PA. Our vote is our voice. Make yours heard. Billy for Joe. All right, folks, my next guest, she always says she married her politics. Actress Cheryl Lee Ralph joins me right now in Roland Martin Unfiltered. Cheryl Lee, what's happening? Oh, everything is happening, and I'm loving the conversation that you are having there in Michigan. Those brothers right there, well, they I... are all talking about the truth, and I'm loving it. Uh, you have been somebody who has always been active uh, in politics, really pushing people to be aware of the issues. Uh, just just yeah. share your thoughts about this election uh, and, and, and what you've been seeing, what you've been feeling. You know something, this election, like you ha you've had people there saying, it is the election of our lifetime, literally, our literal very life. There are people out there who would like to squeeze, shoot, beat, hang, slug the life out of us. We are seeing it take place in ways between meetings for, at stop signs with police officers that are ending in death, mental is issues that are ending in death for young black men. This is an this is obviously systemic racism showing itself to us on the daily. And it is happening because COVID-19, under the complete lack of, life, of, of leadership of that orange occupier in the White House, has shown us just how bad it is. And anybody, 
anybody of color, black, Anthony. brown, who Anthony. sits this election out, we all don't deserve what you're going to give us. So I encourage everybody, please get yourself together. Go out and vote. If you got to vote, if you got to be there, you're going to have to vote early. Plan to vote successfully. If it's cold, bundled up. You can't stand, sit down, bring a chair. You need water, make sure you bring water. You need to work out, have the right music in your headphones. But stay online and vote like your life depends upon it, because it really does. Shirley, let's talk about uh, California. We were talking earlier about you must focus on what's down ballot. A ballot proposition there in um, uh, in California uh, is looks like it's lagging behind. Tell our, tell our viewers about that ballot proposal. You know something? It's interesting. It's Proposition 16, and that is the equal opportunity ban. And I'm like, why are we letting the past divide us? Why can't we come together and vote on what is needed for the future. How we battle, how we combat systematic racism is by making sure that everybody has an equal opportunity and an equal shot at education. Back in 1996, I believe the governor was Pete Wilson. Pete Wilson and all of his cronies in the GOP at that time, they, they kept using race to divide us, to divide us. And they said, look, Everybody has an opportunity. If you're black, if you're poor, that's no reason for you to have an, uh, have a leg up. Well, yeah, it is, because for so long, people have had their legs, their knees, their, everything at our neck. Vote yes on Proposition 16 so that we can have equal opportunity programs. We need them more than ever right now. And to say you don't want proposition, proposition 16 is to say that, hey, people of color, black lives, they don't matter. And that's got to stop. Yes on 16, California. Well, and on that point, there are other ballot initiatives all across the country. And in fact, that was a ballot initiative in 2018 that created a commission that would redraw lines here in here in Michigan because they got tired of the gerrymandering happening in the legislature. That's how people can change the amendment four passed in Florida, giving voting rights back to those who are formerly incarcerated. Republicans have been fighting that as well, upwards of a million four people. And so we can't ignore those ballot initiatives, Shirley. We cannot ignore these things. And very often, we vote for things not having the proper information, which is why what you were proposing, that organization, social organizations, sororities, fraternities, make the, make the commitment to teaching young people about what it means to vote and vote properly. Now, we've got We've got record numbers of people coming out to vote in this election season. We need them to come back in two years. We need them to come back two years after that. We need them to keep up so that we can get the people, the leaders at the gate that we need who understand what our needs are. But it doesn't happen unless people get into the habit of voting and knowing what they're voting for. Proposition 16 in California, it should not be lagging behind. People should be voting yes on that because we need equal opportunity and we need it now. 
All right, Shirley Ralph, I appreciate it. It's always great to have you on the show. Tell your husband what's up. Well, darling, like you said, I don't just live with my politics. I sleep with my politics. Senator Vincent Hughes of the great state of Pennsylvania, the great city of Philadelphia. Okay, it's having a little rough time right now, but all <laughs> things matter. All right, then, Shirley, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thanks, darling. Bye-bye. All right, folks, uh, that is it for us. Hey, we want you to support Roland Martin Unfiltered, joining our Bring the Funk fan club. Look, we've been all over the country uh, for the past week. Last week, we were in Raleigh, North Carolina, North Carolina A&T. We're at, we're at, of course, North Carolina Central, and we're broadcasting in Raleigh from an early voting location. Over the weekend, in Florida, for the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition, uh, their march, which took place in Orlando. Then, of course, on Monday with Jamie Harrison in Columbia, South Carolina. Tuesday uh, with Joe Biden, Raphael Warnock, and uh, John Ossoff. And, of course, here uh, interviewing Senator Gary Peters uh, in Detroit uh, and others. Back in D.C. tomorrow, but on Sunday, I'll be in Jackson, Mississippi with Mike Espy for a big uh, get-out-the-vote rally taking place there. Then, of course, we'll be back in studio Monday, and we have our election night coverage. Uh, we're not going to be live from 6 to 8 because we're going to be broadcasting eight hours that night on election night covering all the races, uh, and we're also going to have our show. We'll be simulcast on iHeartRadio's Black Information Network radio stations, about 20-plus stations across the country. So we will be actually uh, on national broadcast on radio, plus right here on Roller Martin Unfiltered, uh, every single uh, uh, on you, our YouTube channel, Facebook, and Periscope as well. Support us, of course, via Cash App, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered, PayPal.me forward slash Unfiltered, Venmo.com forward slash Unfiltered. You can send a money order to New Vision Media, NU, Vision Media, Inc., 1625 K Street, Northwest, Suite 400, Washington, D.C., 2006. Uh, we've got about 13,200 folks uh, who are now fan club members. Of course, we want to get uh, 20,000 of those folks uh, joining us, uh, so please uh, do so. So I will see you guys tomorrow. Uh, that's it. want to thank everybody for making this possible, uh, for setting this whole thing up. Literally, y'all, this thing was put together real quick. I called Congresswoman Brenda Lawrence last week, and she said, hey, we're going to do it. And so I want to thank all the staffers, everybody who made it possible, the folks who came out here, uh, my frat brothers, uh, folks with Divide 9, so many others uh, who were here. Uh, we certainly had a great time. And so thank you so very much. Y'all keep supporting Roller Martin Unfiltered. I'll see y'all tomorrow. Y'all always know how to end the show. Real simple. Holla! I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.